following is a conversation with Luke Raynham. He shares science-based life hacks on his Instagram page, and he also hosts the Getting Mental podcast. Today's chat was a little bit more free-flowing uh, and fast-paced than some of my previous podcasts, and I hope to continue on that trend. We spoke about some various tips around sleep, mental health, diet, exercise, and nutrition, and hopefully there's some actionable information there and things you can implement in your own life. If you want to check out the podcast in video form, it's available on YouTube on my channel, William Eisenhuth. And if you're after clipped form for just specific parts of the conversation, then head to William Eisenhuth Clips uh, for some shorter videos there. Either way, uh, I hope you enjoy today's conversation uh, and the conversations that I have in the future. All right, Luke, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you on. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. No worries. Well, I wanted to have you on because I've recently been following your content on Instagram as well as your podcast, the Getting Mental podcast. And essentially, the Instagram in particular, you share science-based life hacks, which I really enjoy. I think they're short bits of information that are very actionable and different ways to improve your own life. And I guess, as a start, talk to everyone about how you got started doing this and why you actually you know, made the effort to start putting this sort of content out. Yeah, good question. So back in 2020, I think it was, maybe around you know, just, just after the pandemic started, I, um, I had really, really bad insomnia and um, I was working full-time then doing nine to five. And I was kind of forced for a few months to, to take a break and to really think about, you know, what I want to do with my life. So it was in that moment um, of, you know, reflection or those moments of reflection, I should say, about a few months off that I kind of thought about, you know, what, what am I passionate about? What do I love doing? What do I, the two questions I ask myself is what would I do if I had no time or unlimited time, sorry, and unlimited money? And the very first thing that came up was, you know, I, I love to learn. I love reading about psychology, about human nature, about so social psychology and uh, various things like that. So, you know, I, I kind of just went with that in interest. You know, I didn't try to force. I didn't try to, you know, um, uh, start a massive business or anything like that. I just said, I'm going to do what, what feels right for me intuitively, what feels right for me from like a, a, a deep level. So did the same thing, kind of kept you know, reading books and my the kind of trend of what I learn in my life, the, the, the way that I learn is through circumstances that I experience myself. So in the case of, you know, that part of my life, I was going through a relationship that was a bit rocky. So I started learning a lot about, um, you know, the psychology of love and, and how people fall in love, the two types of love, which we can get into. And, you know, I, I started to share it. Um, so come 2021, around about, you know, January, February, I started to kind of play with Instagram and post stuff and, you know, and from a technical point of view, learn how, you know, Instagram worked and what engagement looks like, how the algorithm works, et cetera, et cetera. And also to post content because the best way to add value uh, or to get more, you know, engagement, what you want to call it, is to post valuable content that resonates with people and that hits home for them. So I started playing with that, started playing with the, the messaging delivery and um, yeah, I've kind of gone through a few evolutions. I did a bit of stuff with mental health and I kind of staggered up from there and thought about to my, thought to myself, you know, what do I want to encapsulate all this stuff that I'm learning here? What is the foundational, the underlying pin 
or the kind of market gap that I can fill for, for people who, you know, are interested in quote unquote personal development or improving or, you know, growth mindset, whatever it is. And it's science, right? doesn't mean that I post 100% science. It's impossible to do so. And science is just a, a finger pointing to the moon, as they say, it's not the, the whole picture. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it gives you a bit of confidence that what you're learning, especially in a world where, you know, everyone's going to camera in front of their face to share anything, which is a positive thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Um, I thought to myself that science or having an underpinning of science was a, a good way to, to approach it. So on my page at Luke Raynham, um, I do a lot of posts that are, you know, science-based and I research stuff that I can share with people. And that's kind of where I came to where I am now. Awesome. And with the research, do you... I guess, read broadly and then choose particular things to make content on? Or do you kind of follow an idea and then go find the research? Does that make sense? Well, a bit of, bit of both. So the first thing, like I have a book that I'm reading, it might be, so the book I'm reading at the moment is by Robert Sapolsky, Behave. And he will reference certain things and they might say sentence, sentence or two on, uh, you know, evolution, uh, how, how we evolved and, you know, human nature and biases and that kind of stuff. And then I'll look at the reference, then I'll research the reference, then I'll read the actual scientific paper and I'll go through that and then kind of dig further and further. And the thing is, right, so, and this comes back and it's kind of a side tangent, but it comes back to having a passion, having something that you love doing because irrespective of whether I was posting or not, I would still be, you know, reading this stuff and, and, and uh, engaging with this information. So I, I spend my time reading it and I spend my time kind of learning the topics and um, yeah, and then kind of in my own mind, writing it out, which is what I wouldn't usually do myself, but I don't mind doing it anyway. I'll write out the kind of dot points of, of what I believe the most valuable points are. Then I jump in front of the camera, then I record it, and then I, then I post it. So that's kind of like a, a rough process that I have. And sometimes I'll just have ideas in my mind of things that I want to share that are important to me. And that are just come up to me from like a, you know, like, oh, this is really resonating with me at the moment, or this is a lesson that I've learned. Then I'll try and find some science on it and try and find ways to, you know, prove this is actually applicable for other people. Um, and if it, if it is, then it's great. If not, then I just post it. And that's, that's what I, what I do with it. So, yeah. Yeah. I like that you're kind of meeting people halfway because a lot of people aren't going to make the effort to go and read these scientific papers. They're not going to go dive into books. I mean, books are almost null and void for a lot of, I guess, the population that's our age. So I guess by you doing the research and then meeting people halfway on their social media accounts, making sure that some of their feed is at least educational. It's pretty uh, pretty great. It's, it's using social media for good. And I think that's rare these days. Uh, you don't get a lot of education, at least if you're not searching for it. Yeah. And I mean, on top of that as well, when it comes to education, there's so much conflicting points of views and you know you can find and this is the thing about science right it's like true science you can't find conflicting point of views at least i feel that way but when it comes to to most uh health stuff and maybe a bit of psychology there's there's a bit less um contention with that things are so conflictual and you can find things that are kind of oh, th what this person said this or keto or not keto or you know low carb or no carb or you know high carb so all these things, they have like these messages and you, if you look deep enough into it, um, it's, I'll give you some, a bunch of resources that I look at, like a website called Examine, for example, they go through all the different uh, studies and debunk which ones aren't, you know, actually true. So for example, you know, the, the, the kind of idea that uh, carbs are bad for you, right? Whether you believe in that or not, that's up to you. But they've debunked this as something like, you know, it's, it's bad for some people, it's good for others. And probably generally speaking, it's just normal. So 
when you peel away the layers, you see that complexity is removed. And, in, and when, when things are complex, it makes it difficult to take action. So to tie that back into what we're saying, like I'm my kind of goal with, with my page is to remove complexity. And sometimes I feel like some of my posts, they will be like, well, that, duh, that makes sense. But you'll find that most people have been fed so much kind of lies and BS um, to fit a marketing agenda of a company that sells keto stuff, for example, uh, in order to make money that they actually start believing it. And I'm not saying that it's entirely bad for you circumstantially. Like if you have, um, uh, what's when you have fits, uh, when you have, a so, so epilepsy, yeah. When someone has epilepsy, like doing a keto diet is very good for you, for example. So there's fringe ways of looking at the world that don't apply to the general masses. So what I try and do is teach something that can be generally applied to most people and executed to most people that is scientifically sound. And when I can't do that, then I just do posts that I enjoy doing. Um, but for the most part, I do enjoy digging into the science because it makes me feel comfortable sharing it as well. I just don't want to share anything to the world and say, you know, here's, here's information on this, you know, like it's just me testing it and that's it. Um, but I do that, do do that as well because people value it. So, yeah. Yeah. I really like that about your page. I think the world at the moment, especially social media is so polarized. It's right or wrong. It's left or right politically. There's very little room for nuance. And it sounds like you're going to sources where, they account for that nuance and they recognize that different things work for different people. And that really shines through in the content that you're putting out. Oh, yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, just to comment that quickly, I think that, you know, people, um, you know, so my kind of underpinning strength or, you know, like way of being is I love, I love to find out what the truth of something is, you know, because um, there's a Jay-Z lyric in, uh, in, in his uh, Magna Carta, Holy Grail album, he says, question religion, question it all, question existence until those questions are solved. And for me, like that's kind of an underpinning of my life. Like I don't know, I can't sit with something being untrue. And there's always a paradox of truth in every situation. You know, like there, there's a paradox of information, in everything you do, and that's just the nature of reality. But for me, I try to get clo- as close as possible to the truth as I, as I can, whether it be with politics, you know, with, um, uh, uh, you know, the relationships between countries, whether it be with science, you know, I want to get to the deepest core of the truth that I can. It doesn't mean that I'm always right. You know, I might post stuff that I'm like, oh crap, that's wrong. Like two or three years later, but I'm always attempting to find out what is most true um, for people and also for the world and for myself as well. Yeah, I really like that. That's such a great philosophy. I want to focus in particular, a lot of your content um, talks about our interactions with phones and social media. Um, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. I'm really recently reading a book by Cal Newport, which is called Deep Work. Uh, And it talks about, I guess, social media in today's day and age and the enormous effect it has on our mind's ability to think, our mind's ability to do deep work and the major distractions that it can create in our lives. So based on you having gone through a lot of the science and all different perspectives, scientific perspectives, how do you manage as a young person social media in your life and how do you make sure that it you're using it rather than it uses you yeah so two things i want to expand on what you said there so there's a, a book by um uh, called the shallows um and it talks about basically it was, it was written in 2010 from memory in this book he talks about basically what social media is doing to our brains right and not just social media but the way that we interact with contents called media multitasking right so for most people who are millennials or younger or even older at this point, when they sit down to engage in what you referred to as deep work there, which is a book by Cal Newport, they don't actually work. 
You know, they have this hazy way of dealing with work and approaching work that is semi-working, right? You sit down at your desk, you got your phone next to you, and it's this phantom distraction. You know, there's been studies conducted that show that when the when a phone is on a table with a conversation between two people, like if my phone was in front of me right now on the table right here, whether I choose to think so or not, I will I will I will rate this conversation as less enjoyable. I feel less empathy towards you. I, I wouldn't enjoy uh, the conversation as much as I would if I had my phone away. Now, why is that? You might ask. Well, the reason why is because when people have this device that they've anchored to distraction, like you pick up your phone, you know, nine times out of ten for people our age or people you know around this age or even older, there's no real age bias here. But I just think you know people our age use it more. You'll find that you, you know, most of the time you pick up the phone when you're bored. You know, I'm feeling bored right now, or even worse than that, you know, I'm feeling uh, upset right now. I'm feeling uh, insecure right now. I'm feeling this right now. I'm feeling, you know, all these emotions that we experience. So to tie into what you were saying before, with the question you asked, which was how do I manage social media with in light of, of the science that I've read? Well, I take a, a kind of a two-pronged approach. I take what works for me, but also what the science says as well. I use the science to leverage myself into action. So in that situation, what I do is, so I have three main things in my life that I'm working at the moment that are super important to me. And I have a quota each week of what I want to reach for the hours contribute to that. You know, there's different metrics you can take for a goal, right? You can have, you know, hour input, you can have uh, an actual result and you can go even further um, and do, uh, what's the other one I, I read the other day? Well, you have principles that you apply to the results that you, you measure as well, which might sound a bit complex, but where I'm going with this is, I'm at the beginning phase of these new things that I'm, I'm working towards. So I'm at a, a metric place of recording hours. So I can't, so the first thing you want to do is you don't want to lie to yourself about what you are and what you are not doing. The mind by itself is, it distorts time to what you want to believe. So if I want to believe that I'm a hard worker, but I don't measure how much I work, I would not, I will not to go against what I believe about myself. I will choose to believe that I've worked, you know, 20, uh, oh, I did, did I do 80 hour work week? It's like, really? Did you really? Let's, let's, let's look at what you've measured there. And what you find is when you measure stuff, what you think you're actually doing is probably about half or at the very least uh, three fourths. So if someone says they're working 80 hours, I guarantee, you know, 20, 25 hours of those, you know, one fourth at least of those hours is spent checking your phone, re-engaging with what you're doing before, um, you know, doing little things that are there to distract yourself, which is part two, right? So part one, just to recap, is uh, measuring how much you're using your phone or measuring how much you're doing the thing that you want to do to get you to what you want in your life. It could be something as simple as, uh, you know, with the book you're reading, for example, Deep Work, how much hours of deep work I'm actually doing. You chuck the timer on, which I can give you an app for, which is called A Tracker, And you, you track the time on that. So that's the first step. And inevitably, if you're someone that's on their phone all the time, unless you've got really good habits, which is, you know, you're part of the minority, you will see the, the results of how much time you're spending on that, right? So that's the second part. You will then see that. And that will be an anchor for you to say, hey, hold on a second. I'm not doing what I should be doing. So then what naturally happens out of that, or maybe not naturally, if it doesn't, that's cool as well, is you will start to want to not use your phone because you know how much it's distracting you. And when you start doing that, you start feeling your brain turning off every three or four minutes because you're so used to going on your phone. So this, this is me. I'm talking about me right now, right? This is an example, right? So I went through this process and then I 
went to part three, which was I started to take my phone, put it outside of my room, right? Or at the very least, like put it away over the other side of the room underneath something. And what I found is that for the first five to seven days, I felt like deep emotional pain. Now, because I was using my phone as a distraction, not to deal with my emotions, right? So I had an unhealthy habit, had an unhealthy self-soothing that I did. I wouldn't call it soothing, self-loathing um, uh, that I would do where I'd go on my phone and I would you know, start uh, learning something, for example, which is, and this is the tricky part, right? When a positive thing, you know, like learning, I'm going on YouTube, I'm listening to a podcast. What do you mean? I'm not doing it wrong. It's like, but what are you doing in place of that? If you're choosing to engage in content because you're distracting yourself from something that's coming up for you, like anger or pain or like deep despair, what it might be, you're not really facing the emotion, right? Now, everyone's different. Everyone has a different approach. It doesn't depends how neurotic you are, right? But the first week that I did this, I felt there's a deep emotional pain. And I had to learn new habits on how to deal with these emotions, what I call effective self-soothing. So I started journaling. I started going for walks without my phone. Or if I did, my phone would be in my pocket. If you want to you know, measure your steps or whatever on your phone, my phone would be in my pocket and it would be off, right? So, and even now it's still hard. So in summary, three steps. One, you want to measure how much time you're spending uh, on your phone or how much time you're spending towards the, the goal you're trying to achieve. Two, you want to change your phone habits through things uh, like keeping your phone outside your room, like um, uh, putting your phone, doing a disturb, turning it off, uh, like spending one hour a day a social media window. You know, it could be from seven to eight, could be from eight to nine. It could even be two hours if you want to. Heck, it could be even three hours because I guarantee you, if you choose that three hour window, you're going to do far less than what you did if you had it on or available all the time. You're creating boundaries for yourself, right? Then step three is dealing with the emotions that come up when you experience those emotional pangs because you will, right? Unless you're very low in neuroticism and you're, how would you say, not a very emotional person, not, not in a bad way, it's just different personality types, right? If you are that kind of person, then you might not need to do this, but find a, a way to self-soothe that's empowering for you. When I say empowering, I mean stuff like journaling. You know, it's different for everyone again. Journaling, uh, you know, painting, uh, you know, calling a friend, actually calling a friend and speak to him on the phone. Um, you know, various things like that where you actually, you're dealing with emotion in a positive way, right? And with the friend thing as well, you don't get to a place where you're codependent either. So take it as, as, you, as you wish. And those are kind of the, I think I said two ways, maybe three ways you can deal with it. So that's that's the, the long version. <laughs> no, it's it was a great explanation. And I think, I think you you really touched on an important point there where the phone is a cure for emotional, well, the phone or any distraction is a cure for emotional, it becomes a crutch whenever you come across a difficult emotion. Often that's boredom. And evolutionary speaking, boredom is a pretext for creativity when you're bored and when you're not distracted, it forces you to go introspective. Have you found that since you've started taking these steps with regard to your phone and other distractions that you've become more creative or have has that not been something you've witnessed? Um, I think a better way to put it in my own words would be I've become, I've been able to express and communicate the ideas that I want that were already there um, better. So yeah, I have become a creative in, in short terms, but it's a little, a little bit of a distinction there is that, you know, I would sit down to make a post, for example, and 
you know, I start researching and writing and I'll be bouncing between, and so many people do this, right? This is, this is the norm, right? This is the norm in Western culture for a millennial. You sit down and do something and you start doing it. Your phone's next to you. You check it after like two or three minutes. You get a message, two or three minutes. And because you're bouncing around a lot, you think you're productive, but what's actually happening is you're, you're just moving a lot. You're, you're, your brain is moving a lot. So you misperceive that as productivity. So I would do that. I'd sit there and be like, oh, you know, like I'll check this. I've got a text message, whatever. I'll reply to that. Da, 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 da. And it would take me away from deep work, from flow, right? Because flow is like this untapped resource and I'm still learning how to access it. And when I'm in that flow to come full circle, yes, I do become more creative. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction distinction um, between doing lots of things and getting a lot done. It's one thing to be listening to a podcast that might seem productive, be doing work that might seem productive and checking your phone every now and then to run those errands that you need to do. It might not even be socializing, just getting things done on your phone that need to be done throughout the day. But by having your brain jumping between all these different things, you're not actually working as effectively on each one or as efficiently on each one. So you're not actually working hard. Well, you might be working harder, but you're not necessarily working more effectively. And I think that's something that everyone's had to deal with at some point in time, I'm sure. But when you're in it, you don't recognize that. Absolutely. And what it does to your brain, and this is just a metaphor that I've made, it compresses your brain. You know, so when when you're in that state of mind, when you live in that state of mind, because you are the habits that you do, not to sound cliche, like every personal development book, you, when you do those habits, you, you don't allow yourself to live out of inspiration, right? Contemplation is a step towards inspiration. And when you don't allow yourself to step into that space through distractions, you have a high tolerance, right? A very high tolerance for what you need to be satisfied, right? So that, that, that when you stop using your phone, that lull that you go through, that depressive lull of like, I'm bored, how do I deal with this? A part of that is you're used to, you know, 10 out of 10 stimulation. You're used to this high stimulation of your phone there and of social media and Netflix and all these things that you don't know how to sit in silence anymore. You don't know how to sit there and feel your emotion. You don't know how to sit there and feel what's going through your body or understand how to go through it and through sort through it. So we've lost the skill of being able to uh, decompress our brain. So long-term, what does that even look like? Like just really think about it for 10, 15 years of that, which is going to be the future probably. People have all these emotions in this section right here. If you're not, if you're listening to this, and they have it in like a, a tube, right? All these emotions are thrown into the tube. And over time, it starts overfilling. You have a mental breakdown and you think you're having mental breakdown because of one or two circumstances. But we all know that mental breakdowns and things that happen to you on a large level, despair, all these things, it's a message being repeated over and over again that you haven't listened to. So when we're using our phones, we're overstimulating our brain. We're making our brain, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, not literally, or maybe literally, who knows? We're, we're compressing, okay, we're like a trash can, it's filled up and the paper's falling out and you just leave it there and it gets stinky and smelly. Next thing you know, uh, you smell out the whole office and, and your life sucks. So that's been the experience where I've had, you know, I'm, I'm 27, right? I started using a mobile phone when I was 12 um, and it was a Nokia phone with a snake on it, the snake game and everything on it. And, you know, that was the beginning of it. And when iPhones came out, you know, I got an iPhone, all these kind of things in 2000 and nine, I think it was, but the iPhone came out in 2007. And 
So for, you know, a good 11, 12 years of my life, I've been conditioned by this device that may not have my best interest at heart. I don't know. I can't say whether it does or not, but so long-term you're looking at, you know, a terrible effect to your brain, shorten attention span, um, the capacity, uh, you lose the capacity to contemplate, which like I said, is a doorway to inspiration, a doorway to creativity. Like you said, um, a doorway, you can't read anymore. Like you become a, a second-class uh, intellectual human in a way. Um, and look, I could be wrong here. You know, I could be wrong that maybe it helps you thrive. There is evidence to suggest that that uh, being able to you know, be on your phone does help your reaction time, for example. And there's other various things that does help. You connect with people. We're on this podcast right now. It's awesome. Um, all I'm saying is create boundaries and create space in your life for the life that you want and have your phone in a place where it doesn't take you over, uh, where you're in control of it. You wield your phone. The phone doesn't wield you. Yeah, that's that's so true. And I, I really like the point that you made that the iPhone only came around in 2007, which means this is a new phenomenon that we haven't quite figured out. I heard a quote the other day that the people in Silicon Valley behind these tech companies uh, could almost be equated to tobacco farmers in t-shirts. They're literally focusing and spending their day on how to increase engagement, increase involvement, make people spend more time on their phone just in the same way that in the 50s and 60s, people were trying to engineer cigarettes to be more addictive to increase sales. Now, you can argue for days about the morality of that and everything like that, but the fact is it's reality. Morality aside, it's a reality. And it seems to me that through those steps that you've laid out is a perfect way of dealing with that. Unlike cigarettes, there's a large benefit that comes from social media and from technologies. And so it's about, as you said, finding that balance where you get the benefit, but you're minimizing the extent to which you become addicted and it uses you. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about moving away from, I guess, social media. I recently had someone on my podcast called Tim Brown, who's a meditation expert. And some of your life hacks have focused around meditation and some of your podcasts as well. I wanted to ask, do you meditate? Yes. I've been doing it for 10 years. 10 years. So what have you, what have you get, gotten out of it? What's your process for meditation? How often are you doing it? Um, well, I'll tell you a bit of backstory. So I started in 2012 and for the first probably three years, um, I had really no idea what I was doing. You know, I was a very socially awkward kid. Um, I didn't know my place in the world. I didn't know, uh, how to really deal with my emotions. I had so many different emotions coming up that I, that I, you know, meditating for me was a very difficult process. I just did it because I wanted to be better socially and I wanted to remove this, this sadness that I had inside of me. And um, yeah, after about three years, like it started to kind of turn on me. It started to, uh, in the sense where it just made me anxious. Um, I used to focus my breath a lot, which made me like find it hard to breathe. I'm not really selling meditation here, am I? But um, I, come, I come around to full circle on this. So I was doing that for like three years. And um, yeah, I, I stopped for a month or two at that point in like 2000, I think it was 14 or uh, no, 2015. And I restarted again. And over time, I started to slowly see the benefits. So probably around 2018, I would say, is when I started seeing the most benefits because I cut out some other things in my life that were taking away from my practice. Um, and I, yeah, I started to, to really go deep with it. I started doing a lot of Joe Dispenza meditations. I started doing um, uh, meditation courses. You know, I really, really delve into it. Um, so my process today is I do 30 minutes. And I do 15 minutes of complete silence, no kind of way of doing it whatsoever, whatever feels right for me. 
I'll engage with that. So I'll put a timer on the bell, go off at the first, you know, uh, zero, zero, zero and go off at 15 minutes. And from there, I just purely focused on, you know, whatever I want to do whether it's Vedic meditation, focusing on, you know, words or whatever, whether it's breathing, whether it's four, six breathing, whether it's, you know, um, uh, HRV breathing and like that high, uh, what's that called? HRV, uh, heart rate variability breathing, which helps your, your heart rate, uh, heart rate variability. Um, or whatever it is, I just do that. And then the next 15 minutes, I do priming, right? So I've started doing a lot of uh, energy work stuff, you know, kind of uh, spiritual stuff for, for lack of better words, where I will go into my body and I'll do some breathing. I'll be like, <laughs> do that kind of breathing. I'll do that three rounds of that. And I'll then uh, do like gratitude. I'll bring stuff into me and I'll be grateful for three experiences in my life. And I'll then send that to people like this morning I was doing it and I just sent it to like people I was talking today, like I sent it to you, sent it to just people across the world, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, then after that, I asked my inside my body for things to be set right. You know, like uh, any health issues that I have or any health problems, any pain inside my body, any emotional turmoil in my life, in relationships that I have, may they be solved, may they be fixed, may they be healed. And I set the intention for that. And then after that, I, I send light through my body and I, I feel the light going through my body down to my legs, down to the core of the earth. Then from the core of the earth up through my body and up into the sky. And I, I imagine like, uh, you know, uh, the universe, God, whatever it is, is up there and sending me energy back down and sending it through me. And I become a conduit in a way. Um, and then I finish off with visualization. I visualize my biggest goal, what I'm trying to achieve. And I feel it and I step into it and I become that. So that's my meditation routine. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, the priming side of things. What sort of benefits do you get from priming? I know there's people like Tony Robbins um, and those sorts of people who do that every day and I've heard them speak about it, but I'd love to hear your take on it and what you get from it. Absolutely. So I do Tony Robbins one. So I have Tony Robbins one that I do and then I kind of adapt it for myself or I just do his, which is you know, his one's probably the best in all honesty. Um, well, I mean, it's the only one that I've seen, to, to be fair. Um well, the benefits I get from that, well, so about maybe a month ago, uh, I started to kind of feel like meditation by itself. So there's been, there's been some studies that indicate that meditation makes you more narcissistic and um, I think the thing what they used was narcissistic and selfish for lack of better words. Um, I'm paraphrasing there. And I can see that, you know, it makes you, I've had friends who started meditating and they become it's like spiritual bypassing. They, they become, they think that they're above the process of life. You know, it's like I meditate now. I've had these beautiful spiritual experiences and they feel like they have something that most people don't. It becomes a religion, right? Like when a, a really religious person, um, nothing against religion. I think it's great for whoever does it. It depends on the person. But certain religious people believe that because of their relationship with God or because of their relationship with Jesus or, you know, whoever you believe in, that they have skills that other people don't. Or they have this superiority over people. And I see this a lot with meditation, right? And I just kind of felt it got a bit dull for me, right? After doing it for so long, I wanted to, you know, meditation for me is like flossing. You're getting rid of maybe all the gunk in between your teeth, right? Whereas priming is like whitening your teeth. You're learning how to, uh, to create a new reality, a new frequency, a new way of being. I don't have any science on this. This is not scientific. This is purely just, uh, you know, what feels right for me. So for me, like, it feels like I'm rewiring my consciousness. Right. And since I've been doing that, like I'll, and also on top of that as well, I'll, I'll finish the priming. 
I'll do a bit of a, you know, movement routine, um, like exercise. And I'll go straight into a cold shower, put some of my music on and I'll just like kind of feel that again, like feel that energy and anchor the coldness of the water to breaking through stuff and to feeling better, feeling stronger, feeling more alive, feeling vital and visualizing it deeper. So ever since I've been doing those three things together or four things, I really just felt like I'm unstoppable. I feel like the goals that I'm aiming towards, like no one can hold me back, not even myself. And yeah, I feel inspired. I feel in action, not all the time. Like, and there's another thing that I've learned as well, which I love to share here, um, which I'll just sidetrack quickly and come back to it. But I've learned that, you know, in the process of doing this meditation and doing, and doing the priming and all these things, even just meditation by itself, you don't, you can't get attached to the state you get from meditation or the state you get from priming. You need to learn how to detach from that and fall in love for the practice, just for the practice. Now in the, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It says that you are, I'm paraphrasing here and I'm, I'm kind of a bit vague on the memory, but it says you are, uh, you are, you are, I've got this. Give me one second. Uh, you, you, you are, it's coming. Uh, so you are entitled, that's it. You're entitled to the labor itself, not the fruits of the labor. You might've heard it before, Will. And to me, that resonates so much. And when I'm doing this priming stuff, I get attached to the state sometimes like, oh, why, why don't I feel amazing right now? Why don't I feel like as good as I did yesterday? And it's been a process of like, I'm going to do the practice and whatever happens after that, I'm grateful for. So that's been my process with it. And that's, that's the benefits I've seen from it. Yeah, I think a lot of people easily attach themselves with it, as you said, and they will either stop doing it or continue doing it based on one experience or the fact that on this particular day I primed and then I crashed my car and they'll be like, well, clearly it doesn't work, but they don't actually... Superstitious. Yeah, exactly. So they don't really commit to the long-term and the long-term of the practice because they expect that this one practice is going to influence everything that they do for the rest of the day and they expect that it's not effective if I'm leaving this practice. Uh, so I think that's a really important point. I wanted to also ask you, I guess, shifting a little bit from mental health to physical health. I mean, they all tie, kind of tie into one. From the science you've read and a lot of the videos you've shared, how do you approach diet, first of all, broadly? Well, yeah, well, the first thing comes up, you know, so you have with, with any kind of part of life, you know, whether it's diet, whether it's, uh, you know, movement, exercise, any kind of part of life, you have around it the surrounding uh, contributors of, of what contributes to that. So if you're looking at physicality or, you know, diet, for example, you have to then think about mental health, like meditation practice like this. So just quickly to, to go on off a tangent, um, to come back to that as well. This is something that most people don't think of, but what I've, what I've read and what I've seen myself is that diet is just uh, a, a maybe 20, 30% part of the picture that, that people look at that isn't the whole picture. Now, what other parts of the picture are there? So one of the parts is, uh, it's going to sound weird, but our jaws, right? So it's not, it's not what you eat, like specifically as in nutrition, but it's how you're eating it, if that makes sense. Now, what, I'm spe what I specifically mean is they've, they've shown that over the past, I think it's 300 years, the human jaw has shrunk by around about 8 or 9%, went from about 2.37 inches to about 2.10 inches um, for those who want to go by inches. And what this has done, this means that our teeth 
pushing our teeth become crooked and we don't have room for our wisdom teeth our, our bottom palate of our teeth it goes back into our our our, our uh we call esophagus or the breathing pipeline or whatever you want to call that i don't know the technical name and when we sleep and when we 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 when we eat foods we're not chewing enough right not when we sleep so when we when we eat foods we're not chewing enough so the quality of of how you eat like i mean physically is also just as important as diet so when it comes to diet on a, on a kind of side note, I have a lot of chewing gum. I chew a lot of gum, probably about two or three hours a day. And this is going to sound weird again, but I've noticed my bottom uh, part of my teeth has moved forward more. I can feel my teeth hitting the top of my teeth differently. Um, I can feel uh, the, the, the strength of my jaw change. I can feel this. I mean, and this, and this sounds really weird. And this is just purely my opinion. The structure of my face change as well. Like the, the, the bags in my eyes have kind of gone less because of the structure of my face. So, I focus on that, on chewing a lot, and I fast for about 18 hours a day. Um, I fast usually from about seven or eight till about one or two the next day, um, if not a bit longer sometimes, if not a bit less. And I'll have two meals a day. Um, the very first meal will be a smoothie of some sorts um, with you know granola, like whole grain granola. And then for dinner, will be a huge salad bowl. And that's the majority of my diet. That's what I eat. Well, how long have you been doing the uh, fasting for? Well, I was, I think it's been about maybe a month. Actually, it's been two months now. Um, I The reason I'm doing it is because I was, well, two reasons, to save money. Like, it's just great to um, not have to do three meals a day, um, regardless of how much money you have. Um, and also, um, I just feel better, you know. And it feels good to like, it feels good to, have discomfort, if you know what I mean. I think that everyone should have a bit of discomfort in their life because of how comfortable we can have our lives. You know, cold showers, fasting, feeling hungry, um, you know, walking barefoot sometimes, stuff like that. It helps me feel human, if that makes sense. So yeah, I've been doing about a month, month and a half, two months now. It feels amazing. Yeah, I've also been doing the fasting probably for about a year, maybe even a bit more. And I've noticed, well, first of all, it just forces you to reduce your calories there's only so much you can eat in a six or eight hour window and so if you're ever trying to stay on top of your weight or i guess stay at a good level of fitness it just forces you to restrict your calories there's all sorts of i guess contention as to the effects that fasting actually has and whether or not it helps you burn more fat and things of that nature but beyond all else it feels great i mean you feel you're not relying on a meal to have energy in the morning i've noticed that between whenever you start doing work or, or whatever you're doing during the day, even exercising, you're not, you're not dependent upon what you ate to do that. You're, you've just got your own energy and you learn how to, I guess, operate, operate without requiring anything external. And it kind of ties into your evolutionary history because, I mean, our bodies were evolved through fasting. I mean, when you, when you were hungry... It was a motivator to go out and hunt and to go out thousands of years ago to find food and it made you more alert, it made you more effective uh, and our bodies are used to functioning on a fast whereas in this day and age, you don't have to work for your food, you don't have to find your food and you don't have to be alert because food's just a few steps away at the fridge, it's not you know, a few hours of hunting away. So that's one thing I've noticed is that mentally it makes you so much more alert during that fast and even afterwards because you're not 
you kind of maintain that fasted state even once you've eaten. You don't really have those crashes and dips that you would if you were eating a big lunch or a big breakfast. Huge. And our, our brains are wired to crave fatty foods and sugary foods. You know, we're, we're wired to, to want that. So, you know, on a food note, it is so, you know, it's so destructive to have bad food. It's so easy as well when it's easy to be destructive towards your health and, and it's so accessible, then it becomes a majority, right? Like having a bit of Maccas here and there, whatever. It's like, oh, I can treat myself. Meanwhile, treat turns into three times a week or it comes every single day. I have a bit of chocolate at nighttime because I've, I've worked hard today. So it becomes a very destructive habit. And if we don't learn to keep that in check, like that's a, a pathway towards disease, right? And also the invisible things, like I mentioned before, like having, uh, you know, changing the way that your, your actual mouth is structured, which sounds so odd. I know if you listen to this, you're like, what the hell are you talking about? But it's so fundamental, you know, how we breathe and how we, how we uh, move through this world, you know, what, what kind of movement patterns do we have? What kind of breathing patterns do you have? How do you sleep? Like all these things, you know, they're, they're in the culture, but they're not really taken for, for, for serious, you know, like it's this this the the modern concept of of diet right it's like even doing just a keto diet or something like that i don't mean to bag out keto i have nothing against it um or being vegan or whatever it's like it's just that's just one part of the equation and um it really excites me because i think that you know health is like a puzzle a because genetically where, where are you from are you scandinavian are you asian what, what what's your background you know everyone has a different kind of proclivity for food based on where they where they were you know uh, what their background is like for example the shape of our nose was defined from where we live and this is what i've read from a evolutionary perspective the more longer and pointer your nose is it's more likely you're european and the reason it's like that because when you breathe in uh, it's more space and more time for your nose to heat up uh, the air because it used to be in cold environments where if your nose is flatter you know you don't need to heat up the air because it's hot there already uh, in, in like the near the equator um, so that's interesting, but yeah, all these small things are so important, but if you're out there and if you're looking to, you know, maximize your health and maximize your mental health at the same time, focus on the fundamentals. Don't make things complicated. Like Tony Robbins has said before, it's like, uh, the enemy of execution is complexity, right? Don't make things complex. Keep it very simple. You don't need to like go on, a a vegan diet or this diet or any other diet specifically because it's been marketed to you as the bee's knees. It's like, just focus on the fundamentals. And like, if you don't know what they are, just think for a second because it's just vegetables, it's fruits. Um, it's like, you know, whole foods. It's as simple as that. And, and just experiment. And sorry to interrupt, just experiment, figure out what actually works for you rather than saying, well, so-and-so does this, so-and-so does that. Try everything and then decide based on your own evidence what, what makes you feel the best. And that's the thing with diet, right? That's where there's so much conflicting information because how you feel, and of course, tests can be done outside of how someone feels like subjective bias. You know, if it's like blood, you know, decrease of B12 or increase B12, whatever. But if you, how you feel, you know, is enough of an indicator. If you really want to go file that, you want to spend money, you can get blood tests, you know, and get different, different things measured. But the first step is just being open to doing it, right? It's so, it's so easy to uh, do something and then try and find the best solution when the best solution isn't always the best one because it, there's opportunity costs. You're spending, um, it's like the law of diminishing returns. You're spending 
uh, all your time trying to figure out how to do this best thing possible when you can just do the simple thing of what is required at that point in time and then build from there. It's definitely very true. I want us to go back to the jaw. What's the benefit that comes from having a bigger jaw or I guess returning back to how our jaws used to be? Yeah, so there's been photos um, of, so they've dug up uh, jaws for, so about 300 years ago is when the kind of uh, foods came more softer, right? And they've got photos of, uh, the jaws of hunter gatherers and their teeth are completely straight, right? Not in every single case, because they're a bit crooked here and there, but for the most part, the general layout of their teeth is straight. And the reason this is because so you look at the, you look at the animal kingdom as well. You look at dogs, right? And how their, their teeth are structured. Their teeth are often very straight and they're eating very soft foods. But you see when dogs are born, when they're little pups, they chew a lot because they know instinctually what they need. You look at any kind of breed of animal, all their teeth are perfectly straight. Humans aren't though. So they had this, uh, you know, the hunter gathered skull there and they got a human, human's uh, mouth there and you see that side by side, it's like, whoa, it's completely different. So the benefits of it are first and foremost, you open up your passageway. So when we're asleep, right? If we don't have, if we're in the habit of breathing through our mouth, which we often are because of the structure of our, 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 our mouth, we aren't, we aren't absorbing as much oxygen. We aren't, um, what's the technical term for it? I think it's, uh, there's a book called Breathe by James Nestor. And he talks about this where he, he and his colleague, they breathe through their mouth for, I think it was 30 days or something similar to that. I'm paraphrasing here. Just take the, take the, 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 uh, the idea of what I'm saying out of it, not the exact kind of uh, specifics, but in this test, they did it and they measured their blood pressure measure all the, the vitals and all the signs before they start doing it and then during it and all, all the, uh, all the signs for disease, you know, like high blood pressure, um, you know, there are uh, all their metrics were completely off. They're leading towards having severe disease. if They kept breathing through their mouth. So the benefit of using your jaw more is you, you clear up your passageways and you align your jaw and you, you widen your jaw, which means you, you sleep better and you're not choking yourself when you sleep. I personally use tape when I sleep in my mouth, which is a big thing as well. Um, but that's kind of like a, a small benefit to it. And on top of that as well, you can just feel it. Like you feel your, your, the structure of your face. You feel more postured if that makes sense. And even to go as far as your posture, it might do something for that as well. I'm not sure. Um, but all this stuff that I'm, that I'm referencing right now is from Breathe by James Nestor. If you want to find out more, check out Breathe by James Nestor. And I think if nothing else, no one's going to complain for having a better jawline. So <laughs> that's always a benefit as well. Right. Absolutely. For sure. Um, I guess we've talked about diet as being part of the physical health. How about exercises? I guess the second component, what sort of things have you read? Is there anything interesting? Any of the life hacks, I guess, as, as you call them on your page that you found about exercise? There is, but I don't remember them. There was one in particular, um, there's been a bunch there. If you want to check them out, just go on my page, but I, I don't remember specifically, but I want to share what I'm, what I'm doing at the moment, which is learning how to move in different ways. Um, you know, so, and this is just purely speculation. I don't know the science behind this or anything like that. Um, movement patterns, right? So we go to the gym, we want to get in fit and in shape. We move in the same patterns. We do a, a bench press, we do a squat. Um, we don't practice any different movements and, so what I've been doing a lot of is uh, a lot of animal flow stuff 
which is you know doing uh, various movements we have to learn different patterns of 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 uh moving through the world uh, from a, a physical standpoint and what i felt personally for myself in this situation is I, I can feel my body if that makes sense i'm more in my body i'm more grounded but also feel sharper as well um so from a non-scientific point of view which is my opinion if you want to step into a place of feeling more grounded and uh, feeling more intelligent, at least from a subjective, my point of view, try making, doing more complex movements. You know, a dancer, they go through, uh, you know, thousands of different movement patterns uh, when they learn to dance. When we go to the gym, we probably do like, I don't know, 10, 15 or something like that. And just imagine what it's doing to your brain. Imagine how we're supposed to live as humans and how we did move, how we used to squat, how we used to move through space. And how we do now, you know, we're, we're sitting down on a chair for, you know, nine hours of the day or whatever it is. How much are you moving? What movement patterns do you have? Yeah, I think so. It's, there's kind of vertical and horizontal patterns of movement. So like horizontal would be the bench press. Vertical might be a squat or something like that. But so you're focusing more on the transverse where you're doing all sorts of different movements, whether they be weighted or not weighted, a little bit more like yoga or something would achieve. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it yoga because I still even think that's quite um, rigid, in, in my opinion. Um, so it's what I'm specifically doing is a movement called the bear, um, the frogger, and also a monkey. And then you learn, learning transitions between that and not trying to follow instructions of what someone is saying to do or don't do, but rather listening to my body intuitively. You know, where, where, where am I injured in my body? Where does it hurt? How can I find workarounds for that to still move in a certain pattern? How can I twist my body? How can I rotate my spine? How can I move through space more efficiently? How can I move from point A to B with more ease and less energy? Um, how can I get closer to the ground? How can I feel the earth underneath my feet? No music, nothing going around me, just me and my body moving. And to tie this back into social media, right? What I lost when I use social media so much was the capacity to sink deep into something, to have deep work. Again, going back to Cal Newport, I wasn't able to involve myself in a practice like that because, again, my tolerance for what I, uh, my, my point of entry for tolerance of stimulation was so high. I was used to so much stimulation like YouTube videos, podcasts, when I'm eating, when I'm doing this, that when I attempted to do anything that didn't involve my phone, phone or music in the background or anything like that, I have a really hard time doing that activity. So now that I've kind of rid myself of that and I have lower tolerance for what I what, what pleases me, like just going outside and standing on the grass is like a pleasurable experience because I've taken myself to that level. Now movement patterns are like intriguing. My, my body's intriguing me, how I use my hips, how I place my hands on the ground, all the little intricacies, all the little details that you wouldn't notice when you're at the gym playing music in your phone with the gym music blaring on top of that, with like people stalking around you that you wouldn't notice when you're doing a bench press. Even take it as far as just focusing what you're doing right? Be so in deep with what you're doing. Be so in flow with what you're doing that you feel everything. You feel the wind against your face. You feel the grass on your feet. You feel the consciousness of the universe flowing through you. And that's what I'm kind of aiming towards. There's a lot of athletes that talk about that as well. One being Conor McGregor. He's a UFC fighter. I'm sure everyone's heard of his name. He spends a lot of time, not so much now, he's busy with uh, spending his time on yachts. But back in the past, he used to spend a lot of time um, thinking about animal movement and he used to have a bunch of trainers that taught him different movements and you'd see him Ido Portel. yeah exactly you'd see him kind of crawling around the ufc ring doing all sorts of things that just look completely abnormal but he credits a lot of that to 
being able to be comfortable and in that flow state in the ring. And his probably most notable moment was when he knocked out, knocked out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. And that was actually with Ido Portal. After spending months of training with him, he credited his flow state and the fact that he was able to move so efficiently, so quickly and kind of an out of body experience that was created from that to the fact he was able to knock out a guy that hadn't been beaten in 10 years, but he knocked him out in 13 seconds. Yeah. And you see, um, you see in the videos before, if you watch some of the clips of him and Ido Portel, he's bouncing back and forth, which he was at the start of the round, even at the start of the round, he was moving on the ground doing like the thing that I'm talking about, the monkey, right. And he's moving back and forth. And what that does is it takes the opponent off rhythm. So Jose Aldo is already in his head. Like he's in his head, like over-invested on a shot, bounced back and forth, bounced in, hooked him, and you see it. And he's been practicing that movement, right? And I think the issue with Connor at the moment, just in my my limited opinion, I'm not a fighter, is that he's so heavy on his feet now. He's become, you know, the rigid kind of fighter that most people are in in the UFC. And and from what I see, you know, like maybe Israel Adesanya is not like that. He's more of a, uh, as they say, um, he's more of a fluid fighter because he focuses on movement and dancing, right? He's a dancer. Mm. And Connor's, you saw in, Dust, in the Dustin Poirier fights, um, the both of them, that he was so like rigid and like so heavy on his front foot. And that's why he got those calf kicks. And, and he's, I don't, I don't know if he knows this, but I think he needs to go back to learning how to be more fluid. Um, that's just my opinion. Maybe he knows and he knows more than I do. Well, I guarantee he does because he's a fighter. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. You can notice significantly the changes and i think that comes a lot down to the how much time is dedicating to movement rather than other things so definitely very interesting i guess before we wrap up do you have i guess one life hack that we haven't spoken about or one sort of area that we haven't touched on that you think might be important to discuss hmm um can you talk about what's most powerful for me and the most as of recently, I mean, there's been heaps through my life, but the most powerful thing for me is learning how to de-stimulate your brain, make it a practice, you know, try and keep your phone outside your room, try and go for walks. We're not listening to a podcast, try to eat your food without music, try to cut out, listen to music so much because we use it as a distraction, right? Try and have a shower without listening to music. I know a lot of people do try to go to the toilet without being on your phone. Um, recognize that the art of life is rec- is to, Recognize the art of life is learning how to be with life, not be away from it, doing something else that distracts you. I think that's very powerful. That's, a, that's an awesome quote. So I guess tell everyone where you can find you um, on your social media, your podcast. Where can they find a lot of the stuff that you're doing? Yeah, so probably best place is Instagram. It's at Luke Rainham. So Luke, R-A-Y-N-H-A-M. I'm sure you put in the show notes. Um, and on every single platform on Pinterest, TikTok, Facebook, everywhere and uh you can find me on there i post content pretty much daily and uh yeah i hope to see you there yeah i'm sure everyone will be uh be checking you out i actually had another question before we do go (laughs) yeah please as many Um, as you want uh i was going to ask i guess what are you trying to achieve through the podcast and through the sharing life hacks we talked about i guess why you got started in it but looking forward what what's the plan what's the goal well i'm working a course at the moment um which probably going to come out next month i was going to mention it but it's a bit far away around sleep. So I had, you know, severe insomnia multiple times in my life. So I'm building a course um, that's going to be science-based and it's going to be around the fundamentals of how to sleep. You know, the things that we don't talk about, like light, for example, um, you know, uh, certain times to eat, how you should fast, 
what foods you should avoid, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I spent hours and hours, thousands of hours of, you know, restless sleep of, you know, insomnia, feeling like crap, thousands of dollars on, you know, sleep psychologists, supplements, all these kind of things to be left with kind of no results until I discovered these things that I'm sharing in my course, which is coming out. Um, I believe it's going to be called seven days uh, to sleep mastery. And uh, so my goal is to do that course. Um, and we do a few more different things like quitting alcohol and other various courses like that. And uh, yeah, a bunch of a bunch of more stuff in the future, which I won't share here just yet. But um, yeah, that's kind of my goal with it. I want to empower people to feel the healthiest and most alive um, and to to step into their best selves. I love that. I'm sure we'll have to uh, get you back on again in the podcast, maybe down the track and and talk a little bit deeper, do a deep dive on sleep. I'd love to hear about the alcohol thing as well. So thanks for coming on today. It was, um, yeah, an interesting chat. I've really loved all your content on social media. And I guess today being able to deep dive a little bit more and understand a bit more about you, it's, um, it's really fascinating. My pleasure, Will. Thanks for having us on. And um, yeah, we'd love to come back on again in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much, Luke.